Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Men for the Win is sponsored by The Grand Group with Edina Realty. Are you looking to purchase a new home in the Twin Cities area? Or perhaps you're trying to sell your current home? Whether you're upsizing or downsizing, The Grand Group with Edina Realty will meet all of your housing needs. Contact The Grand Group by emailing thegrandgroup at edinarealty.com or call them by phone at 612-817-8751. The Grand Group with Edina Realty, three-time Minneapolis St. Paul Magazine Super Agent Award winners. On this episode, David and Dan recap the Twins' three-game series against the Chicago White Sox. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to Men for the Win. My name is David Kufis. With me, as always, is Dan Thompson. After a brief respite away, missing a whole series of Twins baseball recap, we are back together. It's good to be here, my friend. It is good to be here. Are you feeling better? You feeling okay? Yeah, I'm 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 nearly a hundred percent. So folks, I did have the old COVID. It was my my first time with the beast, and I, I appear to have survived. I am uh, I'm a bigger guy, not gonna lie here, and so it was a little bit uh a little frightening. People in my demographic tend to not do so well with the COVID, but uh here we are recovered and on the podcast once again. I think I had you on like a like a minute by minute text, like David, you feeling okay? How you feeling? <laughs> How you feeling? Can you do the next podcast? How you doing? So I'm I'm glad yeah. you made it through. That and the twins in our absence, we should just really quickly mention they won two out of three against Baltimore, both in very dramatic fashion. It would have been a great podcast to do, but I was just the timing wasn't gonna work. You you weren't feeling well yet. Hogs wasn't available. We thought about maybe just saying, Hogs, though, can you just do a one-man show? But we decided, uh, I don't know if we're ready to give up that much editorial control to Hogs quite yet. No, and and who wants to edit four hours of material? Yeah, that's Dan true. Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> um, a couple things, though, to this series. So the Twins, they win two out of three against Chicago. And there was a stat. David, I've been thinking a lot about stats. About <laughs> Buxton's triple play, which we'll talk about. Gleeman, I think Gleeman, Aaron Gleeman of The Athletic, has gone a little far in these statistics. He's been all over Emilio Pagan for his, like, negative 25 war or whatever it is. But there was something about Buxton, like, the, the catch odds or like basically that should have been a hit like 82 percent of the time or something like i think they've gone a little far with all these stats david all these advanced <laughs> metrics they need to take a step back and just sort of use the eye test right i don't want any stats just tell me if a guy is good by looking at him, <laughs> right, right Dan like do we need an eye test to tell us that emilio pagan has been terrible since he became no a, a twin no the, the number of stats you need to prove that out are pretty minimal i'd, I'd say <laughs> oh my gosh i don't even uh anyway um I'm trying to think. Anything else here? We, we The Tigers, by the way, we should all be clapping for the Tigers after they swept the Guardians in four to keep the Twins safely <laughs> ahead of them? What the heck? Four and a half game lead now in the Central for the Twins. And and, and not really because of anything the Twins have done particularly well, Dan Thompson. Just the Tigers decided, you know what? We're going to beat up on the Guardians, I guess, for four games. And none of them were close, Dan. Like, I, I was keeping a really close eye on those. I got to watch a couple of them. And the Tigers just looked like the better team. And that, I don't think, should be the case. No. And you know what? Here to this series, the Twins looked like the better team than the White Sox. They should have swept this series, David. Yes. To that end, too. At the beginning of the year, we likely thought that this series, Dan, would be far more important than it has turned out to be. And there's more coming, though. There's a lot more Twins-White Sox games down the road here, including just in a week or two. So anyway, we should probably get into this series. Let's, let's go into the series recap. Series recap. 
Game one, Dan, Twins win this one 6-3. to three. Bundy's on the mound, goes five innings pitched, three hits, one earned run, one walk, six strikeouts. Again, you'd prefer he get through more than five, but if you're only going to get through five, giving up one earned run's not too bad. Yeah, he only had 58 pitches, too, which was kind of a surprise to me. Yeah, then they bring in Griffin Jacks, who actually pitched a couple innings, but Duffy looked good. Pagan actually got through an inning. He actually picked up the win here. Duran comes in and pitches the last inning. I mean, it was, it was an exciting game. It was a fun game for the Twins. There was moments that just felt like, okay, this seems like the Twins are, in fact, the better team. Obviously, the big play in this game, though, there's runners on first and second, and there's a high fly hit to deep right center. And Buxton cruises out and makes a catch, and then he throws it into the infield. And the thing is, when you're watching at home, you don't really get to see everything that's happened on the base paths, especially because obviously the cameras are on Buxton if he's going to make the play in center. Well, he does. He throws the ball in. And through all of this confusion, the long and short of it is the runners at second didn't tag, went to third, realized that Buxton had caught it, went back to second base. And then and through all of this confusion, Urshela catches the ball that Buxton throws in, tags the runner, and then steps on second base for the first triple play in MLB history that scored 8-5. What are the odds? Like It's so crazy that you can see things in baseball that have never happened before. That was pretty cool. And I loved my favorite part is that they still throw through the baseball to first just to make sure that they got it. Like, even the players weren't totally sure what had happened with the base runners. I guess the confusion was that the, the lead runner for the White Sox, when Buxton looked down to kind of find where the wall was and such, he thought that the ball had landed. And so that's why yeah. he took off. But it worked out. And obviously, it ended up being a huge play because the White Sox were about, they were poised at least to take a lead there. And certainly, if the ball drops, they take a lead. But but even without, they still got runners in first and second with, with one out. You have to go look at the replay, and I promise you, you're going to have to watch it more than once to figure out what happened. A couple other things here. Arise had a great game. He was three for four. He has the RBI and extras that gives the Twins a lead. Uh, his average with runners on right now is 410. Um, and also, Jeffers has a nice play in the ninth inning. It actually got reviewed, but he threw out Adam Engel at second to end the ninth. It's just one of those things where you don't want you don't want the White Sox to have any extra opportunities there to win the game in nine. Correct. And as we pointed out, like teams love to run on the Twins. So anytime that the catchers manage to throw out a runner, it's a good day. Absolutely. And then the Twins with a big outburst in the tenth. They score four runs, including a couple on Kirilov's single uh, to score a couple base runners. And then I think Duran has clearly clearly shown he's the closer now for this baseball team yes thankfully because honestly dan how scared were you when you saw this and if you had looked at the box score but not seen any of the numbers and you just saw it went duffy pagan duran you might be somewhat relieved to be like well if they got to duran that must mean that things went well with, with duffy and pagan but if you see those two names dan i'm still very very nervous anytime those two guys enter the game i'm less nervous now with duffy i am very nervous with pagan anytime and it was better we saw him later in the series we saw him appear earlier in the game which i think was a was a better spot a better spot that with a worse result but anyway we'll get to that in a moment let's get to game two dan thompson yeah this was the game of the home runs here miranda hits a home run kepler hits one kirilov hits two polanco hits one and the twins go 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position and they still win the game 8 to 2 doesn't even matter dan who cares about runners in scoring position if you're going to score all your runs on home runs anyway no and chris archer was scratched from the start kind of late though we'll talk about that a little bit later so josh winder gets the start he looks pretty good all right he goes 
those five innings. He does give up seven hits, but the damage is minimal, just two runs. And again, the Twins had a lead, you know, when he left. I mean, it was six to two when he left the baseball game. And so feel pretty good when you can get that kind of start out of Josh Winder. Yeah. And then after Winder goes Thielbar, Duffy, McGill, Cotton. And there was a bad rain delay that happened in like the bottom of the eighth. And I'm watching this game and I see it just start to pour. And I'm like, okay, I'm still recovering from COVID. I don't want to stay awake to watch the end of this game, but I happen to be awake anyway by the time they finish, so I got to watch Cotton finish out the game. But this is the the first game in a while, I'd say, especially after that Guardian series and the Orioles series was was better, of course. This just felt like, okay, the Twins have it. Like it felt like the first game of the Cleveland series where they where they won at 9 nothing. It just felt like, okay, they're pretty much untouchable. This game, they didn't really feel untouchable, but it just felt like they were in control start to finish. I think any time that the Twins are showing the their muscle with a lineup like this and and the White Sox just did not really look able to be able to match that. The White Sox just have they only have like 60 something home runs this season. Their home run leader only has 10, right? The Twins have like five guys with at least 9. <laughs> So it's just weird. It's weird to see um, how the Twins have kind of turned now into relying really much on their power. Yeah. Any other thoughts on game two? No, I think we should go on to game three. Game three, Dan. This one, obviously the most frustrating. Twins lose this one. Nine to eight in extra innings. The box score... It's just so dumb. You look at it, it's like every time the Twins score, the White Sox match it. The Twins' bullpen was thinking in their minds, how can we make sure the White Sox finish out this inning tied with us? It was frustrating, and I think the worst part of this game to me in some sense was Joe Ryan only going four innings and really not looking great. He threw 85 pitches across those four innings, and they just needed more out of him. Um, the way that this bullpen is so thin right now, and, and you got to think, gosh, if Joe Ryan gives them six or seven, eight runs is going to be enough. Eight runs should almost always well, be enough, Dan, even with this bullpen. My goodness. Uh, so I think, so Gio Urshela had a home run late. Most of his home runs, I think it's a vast majority, Aaron Gleeman tweeted about this. Another one of those random stats have come with the game tied or close late. Like it just feels like yeah. every hit Gio Urshela has, every home run anyway, is massive. It always feels that way. And yet at the same time, I feel like there have been many instances where he's been up in big moments and he's he's just crashed and burned. He's just like, up a lot in, my, in those moments. It's never just like, okay, well, he struck struck out right it's like he hit into a double play it's like either a home run or a double play or like, you know whatever whatever the worst outcome is he either has the best or the worst it's never middling with Urshela in big moments again he goes three for five two runs two RBI he, they were big spots here he only leaves two guys on base Luis Arias goes four for five Jorge Polanco hits a couple home runs um, Alex Kirilov he actually had grounded into almost one of those it looked like a double play uh, in the first inning you want to talk about that play yeah so this is awkward so if you if you watch this replay and it turned out in the moment, it was a big deal because it allowed the Twins to score a run. But so Tim Anderson has the ball and he's between first and second base and he's running towards first with the intent to tag Kepler and then throw to first for the double play. But he manages, he doesn't have the ball in his glove. He has it in his hand, but he reaches out and tags Kepler with his glove that has no ball in it. And then proceeds to throw to first. And everybody's sort of, it's like a Matrix moment where you're like, was there a glitch here? Or what just happened? Was the ball actually supposed to be in his glove? So if you're new to the sport, you have to tag the guy with the, with the ball. Like you can't, you can't, you can't just have it on your person and like kick him, right? Like that's not how it works in baseball. You have to tag him with the ball. I loved it. Like Glenn Perkins on the, on the, on the color commentary is like, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Like a guy, a guy tag with an empty glove with the ball in the 
other hand. And Tim Anderson, like, you'd think he would know better in this situation. Like, surely all the instincts of playing baseball for almost 30 years that he's played, like, would say, you have to keep the ball in your glove before you touch the guy. <laughs> but there you go. And obviously, it was a big play. The Twins had really struggled with runners in scoring position early in the games in this series. Um, and so that was nice to finally get a run in that situation. And, of course, it was Kirloff, who was great all series. And it was a shame, gosh, the Twins just could not close this out. Because a sweep would have meant a lot here. They haven't swept the team. Hogs and I were talking about this. They haven't swept the team since, like, late May. Yeah, it just keeps going. It's like they can win a series, but, yeah, they can't seem to close it out. And at least they're doing that, right? Amid all of this, they've won three of their last four series you know, the Guardian series being the one there that they uh, that they didn't handle. So, you know, we have to go back a long way to even see when they were swept by anybody. So they're in every series. They're in seemingly every game. And that's what makes this team. They're so it's so maddening because they could have so many more wins here if they just had two more, maybe even one more competent arm in the bullpen. It does bode well, though, Dan, that if they get to the postseason, they'll at least win a game. <laughs> well, let's hope so. And hopefully they've got some arms back by then or some trades done. Anyway, we should uh, we should move into our segments. Catch them all, Kirby Puckett! Puckett's Picks winner. You know, I'm gone for a couple of episodes. The whole world, Dan, just falls apart. I hate this. So Dan took Polanco, scored 18 points. It was a very good series for Polanco. I took Buxton. He had four points. Hogs for the listeners, took Correa. He had two points. So that does give Mr. Thompson the victory. Dan now sits at nine wins on the season. I'm still in the lead at 11 wins. And the listeners are kind of falling behind, Dan. Six wins for the listeners. David, you give the season standings, but you didn't give, I would argue, the more important stat here. The season points scored. Will you please? What? It doesn't matter, Dan. It's I think a it should matter. I have 152. You have 131. The listeners have 114. I think I think that I am clearly winning. How are you? No. Okay. Okay. Again, no. It's just like in any postseason sport, Dan. It doesn't matter how much you win an individual game by. It's all about the record. Who's got the W's? Run differential should be the determining factor in the standings, <laughs> David. We should run up the score. Um, I will be banging that drum until I'm ahead in the season wins, which will come, right? As it always does, right? The numbers even out. No. But anyway, <laughs> here we go into Beast versus Bench. Beast versus Bench. Is losing fun? Is losing fun. Begrudgingly, Dan, I am going to give Polanco the Beast. I think that your pick is also a very good pick, but I think Polanco really deserves some credit for this series. Performed very well, played a very big role in the Twins' victories. Do you remember the time in Chicago when he hit a home run from one side of the plate and then the other? And I had to check for game three because I, I wasn't able to watch the entire game that uh, that it wasn't a flip, but it was they were both from the left side. I was really hoping that, uh, that one of them was from the other side. Does it look to you like Polanco's stance, especially from the left side, is a bit more open? Oh, yeah, he's, he's trying to hit a home run like every time up, it feels like, up there. It, like it he's does... just muscling the ball into the corner. It looks a little garlic-esque from the other side of the plate, right? <laughs> like where it looks like Polanco could walk out to the pitcher's mound. Like that's how he's lined himself up. Well, and you never know after a guy comes off the injured list, like there are probably some tweaks or some some almost restarts in some sense to their baseball. So maybe that's part of it. I'll have to pay a little bit more attention to, your, to his stance next series. So who do you have as your beast? I went with Kirilov. I really, you know, neither of us picked a rise who had a huge series really too. His, his average is back up to 354. But it went with Kirilov. He had the two home runs in game two that were so important. He had two hits in game one. In game three, he was a little less of a factor. By the way, after he came out, after kind of an awkward collision at first base, Twins said he's okay. 
Celestino came in and pinch ran for him. But I just, Alex Kirilov has come around. His average is up to 263, and he's looking like a core piece in this lineup. It was so funny how much we talked about that left field position and like who the permanent fill-in should be and who who earned that spot. And my goodness, Larnick came up and he did it for a bit. Like he sort of looked like he was going to be the guy. And then he had to move to the IL. Kirilov was mashing in AAA. So the twins basically were forced to bring him up because you can't leave a guy who's being that productive at AAA in AAA. Now, granted, people will say, well, hang on. Have you seen Jake Cave as of late for the Saints? Just absolutely (laughs) mashing. No, not the same thing. Not the same thing. Very different. But so, and the Kirilov cave, that goes back to the postseason, uh, our, our discussions <laughs> about right. those two That's right, that's right. The controversial guys. start in right field. Yes, but anyway, all of that to, to say, Kirilov does look like this time it's going to stick, and obviously he's figured something out with that with that wrist injury. Again, I'm convinced he called Cruz, and he's like, how do you break it like you did to make it so it just is better? <laughs> he said, I want you to just twist my wrist, Nelson, <laughs> as hard as you can here. And, uh, and something popped and felt better. Um, who'd you got on your bench? I'm going to give it to Buxton. Yeah. Honestly, this was tricky though. This was hard because a lot of people had very good outings, but we really needed Buxton to have some good games, especially in game three. And he went over five with four guys left on base. And those are runs that can't be left on the table when you're losing the game nine, eight, because your bullpen can't keep it together. So again, I think obviously this loss is more on the bullpen and I was hesitant to give it to Buxton because he was productive in game one, but he went 0 for 4 in game two and 0 for 5 in game three. So for that, I got to give Buxton the old bench moniker. Yeah, I went with McGill. Like, I, no other choice was as obvious. Maybe Pagan for just being generally awful. But McGill giving up that two-run home run to tie the game in the eighth inning was just brutal there because he's a guy who they are counting on to be able to come back from the injured list and make it so that they don't need to trade for another relief pitcher. And the fact that he was a, he was just wasn't able to lock down that eighth inning because they were set up he locks that down duran comes in you've got your eighth and ninth inning guys there and it just didn't work out that way no it is fun though to have a couple of twins pitchers who are throwing 95 96 plus like mcgill was at 98 on the old radar gun which is just fun because how often have we had that in twins history of guys who are throwing that much heat no not often and i hope that this is just a blip this is not a pagan fall apart like like has been done and hopefully he's able to recover but they really do need him to come back strong with that let's go on to rocco's rewind rocco's rewind a couple of series ago after pagan had just pretty much just given the twins L's in the Cleveland series, Rocco comes out and he says, you know what? We're not going to use Pagan in high leverage situations for a bit here. Now I have yet to see Rocco not use Pagan in a high level situation. So I don't know how much we can really trust what Rocco is saying. Now here's the thing. Here's the question. Is it low leverage in in game three when Pagan comes in? Probably. It's four to two twins. But the thing is, it still felt high leverage because Pagan still imploded. Like, apparently it doesn't matter. Like, doesn't matter how high or low the stakes are for Pagan. He's going to pitch terribly just just as a natural act of what he does, Dan. (laughs) Yeah, I I think you said it pretty well there in the sense that because Pagan came in, it becomes a high leverage situation, <laughs> right? Because yes, even yes. if it's 10 to 2, you're thinking, oh, well, it's going to be 10 to 6 pretty soon here. This is the ball game again. <laughs> so I, th- I think it is more about Pagan's 
presents. The first and, guy to come in in the 8-0 situation is high leverage because he's going to give up six runs. Well, because again, who else do you go to? Like You're like, crud, Joe Ryan only gave us four. I guess we got to go to Pagan in the fifth year because who else? We can't have five innings of high leverage situations. Like So yes, I, I, I think that this is not necessarily Rocco not using Pagan in low leverage or whatever. Rocco's right. I think Rocco's sticking to his theory here. He just didn't have anybody, and it was unfortunate that Ryan couldn't go more. Agreed. Okay, what what do you have for Rocco, Dan? I'm going to look a little bit into the past here. There was a time when I was doubting Jose Miranda's value here and that perhaps they should send him back down and give him a little time to work on his defense. I will say this. I think Rocco was right in sticking with Miranda, and not just because of his bat, which has been fantastic, really, for the last month. He doesn't have an error since May which I think is pretty dang impressive for as much as he's been playing third and first. I think he's looked really good. He obviously came up with a big hit in the last series against Baltimore. So I think he might just be the regular third baseman next season. So some people have talked about using Urshela as trade bait so that Miranda could play third full time. But then who's going to get all those big hits in the late and close situations that Gio (laughs) Urshela seems to come up with? Hard to say, Dan. I'm not sure. I'm just saying it's floated out there that now is the time to let go of Urshela. I think that would be a moment where you are pushing in your chips, to to use a tortured poker metaphor, in the sense that it would be really nice to have both of those guys for this season. I would hate for them to have to give up one of them in order to get a relief pitcher. Um, let's, uh, let's go forward into our Minnesota moment. Minnesota moment. So I think for me, it has to be the four runs in the top of the 10th in game one, just because it was nice to not have that sort of not again feeling not be there after the Cleveland series. And granted, some of that taste was washed out of my mouth with the Baltimore series with the Twins doing four walk-offs in a row, losing two in walk-offs and then winning two in walk-offs. Weird, weird stats, certainly. But it was just nice to sort of have that, okay, they are going to win this game. They just scored four runs in the 10. Well, first of all, I was not feeling like they were going to win this game because they scored the four runs in the 10. <laughs> but that moment was nice just to tag on to yours because I'm out I'm out on the dock. We're out in Iowa. We're having Okoboji, Iowa right now. And I'm looking up and there's, and there's fireworks going as this game. And I'm listening to this game and I'm thinking, first of all, there's still no dragon firework. So clearly, like, technology has not come far enough. But it was really fun to be able to have that distraction in my ears so that I didn't have to hear the loud booming noises of, of the fireworks, David, at about 10.15. Yes, yes, it was a, it was a good Are you game. a fireworks guy? Do you like fireworks? No. No. I, uh, so I've, I've done a – well, that, okay, that's not exactly true. Like if they're – if like you're with, with family or friends and you're setting off fireworks, that's a good time. If I have to go park six miles away and then get there at 4 p.m. to find a good spot and sit on <laughs> – lumpy ground with the blankets we bought in mexico and like just wait wait for the things to finally start and then elbow people as i'm leaving after 22 and a half minutes of entertainment that like dan there's a lot of other things i can do in 22 and a half minutes that i would rather be doing (laughs) than watch fireworks and the whole it's just too much dan it's too much so when my child is old enough to appreciate it i will take them but dan i'm pretty happy with this I think it's a 15-year streak I got going where I have put no effort into making sure I see fireworks on the 4th of July. But one of the great moments in the Sandlot, David, is the fireworks night where they can play the night game. Like, that would be the baseball. Anyway, when you can marry baseball with fireworks, sign me up. But aside from that, I'm anyway, um, my moment, David. (laughs) (laughs) There's no good transition there. Is the triple play. David, the Twins (laughs) turned a triple play that had never happened before. 
And I remember the last time they turned to triple play where Miguel Sano had like predicted it right against the Yankees where he like had a premonition that he was going to get the ball hit to him at third and then he threw to second and threw to first. Like the traditional triple play, which does that ever actually happen? Like I feel like all the triple plays are weird fluky plays now. Often they are. I mean, just because things have to be so perfect for it to be that sort of, you know, aesthetically pleasing third to second to first and you have to have a real slow guy at the plate. Like there's so many factors that need to work in your favor for that to happen that yeah, more often than not, the triple plays are going to be funky where there's a a missed tag or the guy tags up and he shouldn't have or he didn't tag up and he needed to just like what happened in this game anyway i long for the five four three triple play well dan you managed to work in sano so i'm gonna let you uh <laughs> you start us off for mauer's musings i just don't know how it can get any better mauer's musings so miguel sano if people have been paying attention has begun a rehab assignment at like no, the... no but nobody's paying attention <laughs> like the lowest level of baseball he's like <laughs> It's like playing pickup games with like the twins, like trainers down in Fort Myers or something like this. He still went 0 for 4 or something in his first game with some ground outs and pop outs. But first of all, when Sano returns, because he inevitably is going, he's going to be back, David. Who gets sent down? <laughs> Someone on the double A roster, Dan. But they can't like, like he's only got like 20 days or something until like he basically has to be able to come back. I think they I don't know all the rules, but like it's not as simple as they can't like just say, well, Miguel, we're going to just keep you at double A for the rest of the year. You can't do that. Why not? <laughs> it's the last year of the contract. There's an option that I'm quite certain, quite certain the twins are not going to be picking up, Dan. But like, OK, but but can you answer my question seriously? Like what's going to happen here with, with Miguel? So no, he's going to come back to the major league roster. He has to. This is serious. He's You're got serious. forty home runs to hit, David, to meet my I feel like, prediction. I, I feel like the what's the guy's name in Spider Man? You're serious? I like like well because you truly you think Miguel Sano is coming back to this roster and he's gonna he's gonna send someone else back down. I think so. I think out of necessity. So who? I'm so I'm gonna say the Kyle <laughs> Garlic gets removed from this roster and Miguel Sano comes back. And they're back. gonna put and they're gonna put Miguel Sano in right field. No, they're going to rotate guys around because they're going to get Larnack back at some point again, too. Like, this roster's getting crowded, David, and Miguel Sano oh, is the damn. piece that doesn't quite fit. Oh, you are delusional. <laughs> there is no way. There is no way this happens. Next time you're in town, Dan, next time that you are in town, if Miguel Sano makes a start on this roster, I will buy every beer we drink at that <laughs> Twins game. Okay? I will buy right. every beer he's, we drink at that Twins He's going to game. make more starts for the Twins this season. He's going to be back. He's going to be maybe a if eight guys member. get long COVID. Like there's just, <laughs> just like there's no you chance to make long COVID jokes, right? Just after I, your your ordeal. All the more, <laughs> all the more reason to point out how ridiculous this is that I'm willing to make the joke, Dan. Maybe Rocco will go down. He'll he'll sacrifice a pitcher here of his precious thirteen, and he will bring in Miguel Sano to be that fourteenth position player on the roster. Folks, I got to be honest. I don't know if he's serious or this is just some deep sarcasm here. I think Dan Thompson truly believes that Miguel Sano is going to come up and take someone's spot off this roster. I think it's more because the rules say that he has to. He they can't just he what cannot rule? be. They could outright him. Who's going to pick him up? That's what oh, I want. So I that's know. what you're saying. So you're saying that they're just going to outright him, and that nobody would want. If it. somebody will take Miguel Sano, if there's some requirements that require him to be on the major league roster, they will cut him loose faster, faster, Dan, than I called my doctor once I got COVID. I don't. <laughs> 
I don't think that they're going to. I think Miguel is going to start to play well here when he gets back up to facing real pitching again. And he's... That's that's even that's even more delusional. It's crazy enough to say that you think he's going to come back on the roster and somebody else is going to get sent set back down, but then to say he's going to come up and be productive. He, oh, right. Dan. We got to move on here. You have another injury list question here. Go ahead. So <laughs> I got to collect my <laughs> thoughts here. Okay. So how much does Archer going on the IL really matter at this point? Because honestly, I think it probably helps a little bit as far as clarity, as far as the rotation is concerned. So in the sense that you think Winder should be in this rotation more or less permanently? Well, Winder, Winder and Smeltzer, like, yes, I think that those two guys have... have proven themselves to get this shot and archer both winder and smelter have a better chance of going deeper in the game than archer has proven to i think that's a good point because it does bring the archer longevity question to a head like at some point if they've got somebody else who can give them six innings and only give up two runs that's going to be better than the guy who can give up two runs in four innings and and they've got bailey ober who is going to be throwing and, and maybe will be back on this team soon too well, and Maeda, hopefully, come August, we'll see Maeda back on the mound, potentially out of the bullpen, unlikely a starting spot. But there's going to be a limited number of slots. And Archer, while he has been effective in, in some outings, I'm not sure with how decimated this bullpen has been, how much time can you give a guy who's only going to give you four innings every time he's on the mound? And maybe that becomes his max in the sense that this is his time with the Twins and he's going to go somewhere else and somebody else will be able to give him more time because the Twins just are running out of roster spots. If all those guys come back that you mentioned and and they Including maybe trade... Including yeah. <laughs> And they <laughs> trade for a, for a reliever. I mean, you look at the list of the relievers and I know that these guys haven't been great, but like, do you cut, do you cut loose Pagan? Is, it, is there finally a moment where they can just say, I'm sorry, we're going to cut bait? I'd be surprised because he has proven himself to be effective, but they're going to have to figure out his usage before he returns. But when has he been effective? He's had a few good outings where he's gotten four or five out, four or five innings that have been productive at least. But his ERA is like five point three four right now, and he's been really bad for the last few outings. I just is, is he gonna get better? Is that what they're hoping for? I guess I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. Bundy's got a four five ERA, and like, I, I guess I think that there's a spot for him on this roster. I just think they have to figure out a clean way to use him. All right. Well, let's move forward to your next segment. Series grades. Time to grade this series, Dan. And I love this. I love this when you give a lower grade than I do. I'm going to give them a B. I thought two out of three is great. And honestly, part of this might be me just riding the high of, of Cleveland getting swept by Detroit. But I'll take I'll take two out of three against the White Sox when the Cleveland Guardians lose four out of four to the Tigers. I think it's, for me, the C-plus that I'm giving them is because of the missed opportunity for a sweep here. And we've seen so many missed opportunities lately with the Guardians, not so much with the Orioles series because I felt like they stole the two games that they got in an exciting fashion, obviously. But this one just felt like it should have been a sweep uh, and there's not a lot of excuse for me. Fair enough. Well, let's keep going down Herbie's headline. I don't know, Jack. It looked like Herbeck pulled him off the back. Herbie's headlines. So Dan, I've been I've been reading the headlines and I've been looking around baseball, see what's happening. And I find myself often after bedtime, after the kiddos asleep and the twins games are over, I like to flip on games from the West Coast. So I find myself watching a lot of Padres, a lot of Dodgers, and a lot of Angels, Dan, when the Angels are at home. And here's the thing. 
How can the Angels be as bad as they are when you have Mike Trout and Otani playing the way that they're playing? The Angels are currently 37 and 45. Mike Trout has a 3.8 war. Otani has a 3.9 war and a 2.68 ERA. If you forgot, he's also a pitcher. The A's are always better than they should be. The Angels are always worse than they should be. And the Twins' highest war, to put it in perspective, their highest war player currently is a rise at 3.0, almost a full point lower than Trout and Otani. What's going on in L.A., Dan? If I had an answer to this question, David, I think somebody would be hiring me on this Angels. This doesn't make any sense. They have not been good since Sosha was the manager. It just shows you that baseball is just not a sport about a couple guys. You cannot be carried by two great baseball players, apparently. Yeah, it's just... It's just so surprising, and you're so sad for a guy like Trout, who has really been the, the face of the game for quite a few years, and he just can't seem to find success with his team. And I don't know if you can be the face of a game when you just don't make the playoffs. Like, it's almost like you have to call a guy like Mookie Betts the face of the game, or, you know, somebody somebody who's actually won some of these games. Even, you know, Cody Bellinger, in some sense, is almost more the face of the game than Mike Trout, and it's too bad because Mike Trout is such a generational talent. And we'll see you Puckett's Picks. Uh, David, I love these moments when I get to pick last because I love to leave my spot blank on the spreadsheet because I just don't know who I'm going to pick yet. Yeah, so the upcoming Rangers series, the listeners are taking Polanco, which you can't blame them after the series that Polanco just had. I'm going to go ahead and take Correa because if Correa is available, I'm definitely taking him. That's the way this game works, Dan. So who you got? David, I'm going to throw another stat at you if you're if you're ready yeah. here. So I'm I'm braced myself, so, <laughs> edge of my seat. So the Twins, and I would credit this, by the way, to not having Miguel Sano, that this is not a more balanced statistic. But the Twins have been mashing right-handed pitching with all of their lefties. They've had the sixth most at-bats versus right-handed pitching, and they have the fourth best OPS in Major League Baseball against right-handed pitching. And I think a big reason for that is Max Kepler. But I'm not going to pick Max Kepler. I'm going to pick Alex Kirilov okay. because he's been excellent so far. So I'm going to wow. stick with Kirilov. No bucks and no arise taken. I just... Uh... Now you mentioned Arise, I'm kind of doubting myself. The last couple of series, Arise has been great, but Kirilov has outperformed him, I think, in each of those series. So I'm going to stick with the guy who hits home runs. Fair enough. I can't fault you, Dan. Um, so with that, folks, again, we just want to apologize for missing the last episode. There were just too many variables to overcome. Hopefully, uh, I have returned to health, it seems. And Dan Thompson is making his way back to Spokane so we can once again get into a more regular routine um, up until the All-Star break. And then after the All-Star break, uh, you'll have a little bit more of Hoags and Dan, which always worries me because I never know what they're going to say about me. I know there's going to be things said that are just just not true. Just don't believe them, folks, is what I'm trying to tell you. You don't even always get the raw cut, David. It's uh, sometimes we're, <laughs> we're pretty stinging in our criticisms of you when you're not there to defend yourself. Not surprising. Well, Dan, I'm going to try and uh, I'm going to try and catch my breath here, Dan. So can you send us out? I sure can. Well, folks, if you like what you hear, please tell a friend. You can follow us on Twitter at Men for the Win. You can find our Men for the Win Facebook page. You can also find us on YouTube. Be sure you've subscribed to the podcast in any of those places so you are notified when new episodes are available. And if you could leave us a rating, that would be great. Thank you for listening. And as always, go Twins. That'll wrap up another episode of Men for the Win, a podcast hosted by David Kufis and Dan Thompson, two avid fans who appreciate well-played baseball, especially when it's done by the Twins. Thanks so much for listening, and as always, go Twins.